All right, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. I'm Kyle Mikey, Lions beat writer for MLive, joined as always by Ben Raven. Um, ben, it's February 5, and for the first time, we are shifting into postseason mode for these Detroit Lions. Bounce, obviously, last week in the NFC Championship game. A disappointing result, no doubt, given the 17-point lead. Um, but I think we can all agree what a what a success uh, in year three of this build. Um, what a joy to watch. And we just got done talking to Brad Holmes, um, general manager for the team, earlier today. And, and we'll dive in soon on that, Ben. But Brad was feeling himself a little bit too, <laughs> in a way that we we um, have never seen before, and and rightfully so. Yeah, it was a uh, it was hard to like look back on the season. Obviously, the last time we recorded because we were in the press box at Levi Stadium, fresh off one of the worst collapses in postseason history for a team like that. But uh, yeah, for, man, for any team, for any team, <laughs> for any team, yeah, not not just this yeah. one. Uh, yeah, Falcons level stuff for sure. But uh, <laughs> but yeah. It, it, Absolute success. I mean, and it's just, we'll get into it like you said, but Brad Holmes came in here and uh, he didn't have all the receipts lined up, but he was definitely feeling himself, as you said, and he was definitely the strongest message of the day was about this team, you know, being positioned to be back because that was one of the big talking points coming out of last week's loss. Like, it's hard to get here. They don't know if they'll be back. They think they're going to be back, but yeah, it's just, uh, man, compared to the GM we met in 2021, it's just nice to see that, like, the evolution of Holmes really kind of take form here, too, because he was he was uh, wheeling and dealing for 40 freaking minutes. That was my biggest takeaway because, <laughs> listen, some of the stuff that he said, I, I think that we you know, agree on on the outside. But, like, that that's just yeah. saying that kind of stuff and with so much bravado has not been Brad Holmes's bag um, when it comes to public speaking. He, he's always spoke – you know, with a lot of measure and care, um, never really rocked the boat. I mean, how many headlines has he ever generated with, uh, I don't know, confidence or over exuberance or whatever. I don't know. Like, yeah, he slammed a table in a draft room or (laughs) yelled in an elevator, but when he gets to a microphone, he's, he's always spoke with great care. And, and again, we'll get into it in a a moment, but he comes out today before a single question has been asked he riffs for more than 11 minutes, and I have it right here, 1,682 words of fire, um, you know, saying this is not a Cinderella story. Yeah. I, mean, like, I mean, everyone wants to crown, especially nationally, everyone wants to crown the Lions as this like underdog tale, and they've never really thought of themselves as an, as an underdog. They don't play like an underdog. They don't coach like an underdog. Um, and Brad Holmes did not talk like an underdog after this season. He really um, asserted himself in this rebuild as you know contenders, as for real. He went after the the, the critics, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed, <laughs> and again really insisted that that they have the best fans in the world, and that the fans should like like forget March, April, and May. Um, and all these like headline things that you're, we're going to read about now for the next few months, but just trust the process because, you know, you can see where the process has gone and it's been just enormous success to this point. Yeah. And I, and I love that he kind of danced on the grave of some of the um, <laughs> critics because there have been many, including, you know, we've had our own like, you know, issues with the draft over the years and stuff, especially this year with mm-hmm. the versatile, the positional value of taking running back and so on. Uh, where they did, and Jameer Gibbs has a lights-out year. Sam Laporta, like all these yeah. guys, it was just a fabulous rookie class that really helped lead the Lions uh, to the heights they had this year. Yeah, it would have been nice if some of the uh, national types that get to throw out their Fs behind an avatar photo could have been in the room for that teardown for sure. But uh, it was uh, pretty sweet to see because it was like a 40-minute speech of just saying i got this trust me because i think he actually like basically said we've we two lions fans we haven't led you astray yet we got this when talking about the draft and it's like man coming from anybody else that's just filler nonsense but coming from brad holmes after what he's done in those three drafts uh you kind of just have to take the man at his word because he's proven it and he's proven it across the board because it's just you can highlight any one of those drafts to talk about how great he is at that aspect of this job and uh you know what? It just a confident man that knew that knew he was swinging a hot stick. <laughs> he came out talking like uh, Apollo Creed at the start of Rocky Two. Man, I was trying to like compare compare him to someone. It was like holy crap! 
Dave, Carl, Eric, our buddy Eric from ESPN tries asking a question and he puts them on the spot. So it's like uh, nobody was safe today. <laughs> yeah, and that was the that was one of the great things. For, it, well, he wasn't just ambiguous about it. Like, oh, there were some critics that proved him wrong. Like he was like, Dave, you yeah. didn't want us to take a quarterback. <laughs> Eric, you didn't want to, you gave us a seed or whatever it was on the draft. <laughs> and, like he didn't like he didn't. I didn't see him walk up there with any paper receipts, but he certainly had them in his in his brain. Um, let's, let's dive in, shall we? Um, cause he, there's so much good stuff. Um, and I want to start with the opening statement that we've alluded to, and we're going to let that run for a, a good chunk. It, we can't run the whole thing cause it's 11 minutes Ben, you're scrolling up and down. Um, yeah, but we'll give you a good chunk, uh, and respond to it on the other side. Look, this is what I want to tell really our fans is look, it's only going to get better. Okay. We're only going to get better, all right? I don't want anybody to think that this was a, a one-shot Cinderella magical journey that just happened. No, it's real, all right? This, was, this is exactly what it was supposed to happen. And I understand that based on history from what's happened in the past, like I understand you have a season like this, it's easy to feel like this was kind of a – a one-shot, magical, lucky, uh, cute story, which I'm tired of hearing. Uh, it's it's it, it was it was none of that. It's it's easy to think that, but no, every move that me and Dan make, it has been made to sustain what we are building. All right, every single move, and I'll say every single move we make and every single move we do not make, is to sustain what we have been building. So um, it's real. Look, it's all to normalize what we're doing, all right? This is to normalize it. This is efforts to normalize it. This Dan, places Dan's been, it was normalized. Places I've been, it's normalized. That's why we're here. We're bringing this to normalize what this is right now. We, we love where we're at. Um, this is supposed to be expected. It's a standard. Um, we love the window that we're in. We just got finished with year three. We're still building. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stick to our plan. We'll continue to put all our effort in to improve each year, which which we've done, in my opinion. And, um, you know, just talking to the fans, I just want them to know that, you know, over the next few months, don't get spooked by speculation or negative talk or, you know, the, the entertainment news feed. Don't get spooked by that to not think that we can't build and sustain what we've been building. All right. Don't get spooked by by that, and I, I I totally get it. The next few months, it's a lot of speculation and it's a lot of opinions, and people don't know what's going to happen. But you know, I just hope that. Um, but they know that every year we have not led them astray. Dan and myself, um, we've been very upfront and straight with everybody, and say, look, again, every move is intentional. Every move that we make. Again, every move we do not make is intentional, you know, and I'll even uh, go back to the past drafts that we've had, you know, every single pick, free agency, every signing, it is very intentional. So I don't want the fans joy to be derailed. Uh, They should be proud of their football team because the fans have earned it and the fans uh, deserve it. But, you know, and also I want them to know that over the next few months, every move that we make, it's to win in December. It's not to win March, April, and May, which it's, it's easy to do. You can, if that's your aim, you can win headlines. You can win March, April, and May, but no, everything is intentional. And it may not look, it may look strange. It may look like, well, why'd they do this? Why? Trust me, it is to win in December. And so that's why we made the moves that, that, that we have made. And uh, look, the reality is this, look, everyone, everyone can't play here, all right? Everyone can't play for the Detroit Lions. And that's just a reality, that's just a standard that has been set. But, and look, I'll, I'll go back to the 2021 draft, all right? So each pick from that draft was very intentional. And the reason why I go back to that draft, a couple reasons, for one, it was 2021, all right? We just finished the 2023 season. So that's when you're supposed to grade a draft, not the day after a draft. 
So, but when you look back at those picks, and those picks were not welcome by many in this room. You know, Dave, you want us to pick quarterback. You didn't want us to pick Panay Sewell. You know, people didn't want us to wait to the fourth round to draft a wide receiver. People didn't want to wait on a Derek Barnes to develop. But every single move was intentional and was made with intention. Who baby. Yeah. Uh, that man is feeling himself and has every right to. It's been three great drafts. Um yeah. he's gotten all pros. Um you know, like Penesu was first pick of the of his whole in t- tenure, and how perfect is that? Because Panay Sewell is not just a great player, but a physical player, and and someone who on and off yeah. the field represents the DNA of this this culture, this rebuild. Um, at some point, we got to stop calling it a rebuild. I guess <laughs> they just made the conference championship game, but um, all pro on day three in Amon Ross St. Brown, and we gave him all kinds of hell for not getting a receiver earlier that year, and uh, he kind of alluded to it at, at some point in his press conference too, Ben. Um, but when you look at the receivers they had at that time, Brett Pyramid, you know, Tyrell Williams, Quintez Cephas, like it feels got, like Ger- Geronimo Allison. <laughs> I mean, Geronimo Allison started a game for the Lions that year. Um, so that's why everyone's like, hey, they need a receiver. And then they didn't take one on day one or day two. It kind of felt like maybe they were setting Jerry Goff up to fail. These were some of the things mm-hmm. that were being talked about. Um, they finally get one on day three. I remember Holmes that night saying something like, <laughs> "You guys will finally get off my ass for yeah, taking that's right. <laughs> for not taking a receiver." And now, now he's one of the greats of his generation and an All Pro, first team All Pro, um, and uh, you know one of the foundational pieces of this this build. Um, and so yeah, like there's been a lot of criticism, not a lot, some criticism uh, along the way. I think it was especially loud this year, Ben, when he chose uh, a running back at number 12, which in today's NFL with the devaluing of the running back position, there were some eyebrows perked, especially when it wasn't even for the best running back in this draft. It was for Jameer Gibbs. Um, and he's like, hey, guys, he's the best player in space. Just just chill F out, you know, basically. Um <laughs> And they takes a stand-up linebacker at number 18, takes a tight end in the second round. And it wasn't even from Michael Mayer, who was to presume the number one right. player at that position. And what do you have, Ben? You have all three of those guys are on the all-rookie team. Jameer Gibbs, top five season ever in Lions history for a rookie when it comes to yards from scrimmage. The rookie class had uh, set a franchise record for touchdowns scored. Laporta had the greatest rookie season ever for a tight end. I mean... Um, Brian Branch, who's not even in that mix that we've mentioned yet, one of the best slot corners in the game. I've been talking a long time. There's just a lot to say about both the criticisms of Brad Mm -hmm. Holmes and also the successes of Brad Holmes and coming off this kind of breakthrough year where everything fit together and people can really see the vision now. Brad Holmes went up to that microphone and just wasn't taking prisoners. He wasn't, he wasn't mincing words like guys, chill out. Like we've got this figured out. We're not here to win headlines in March or April or May. We're here to win games in December. And with the young core they've put together, they've, they've certainly done that. Yeah. And I just love that uh, with all that about his ability to draft, I mean, he also threw it in there. Like we, we build in this, we believe in the staff's ability to develop these guys. I mean, he said it in 2021, he said it in 22, he said it last year, he said it again today. They have built this thing through the draft, like uh, like almost 100% through the draft. I know Jared Goff is largely responsible for that, but the picks that came back in that thing, uh, that set the foundation. And, I mean, he he made note of that, too. They didn't have extra picks in the 2021 draft. I mean, they they punted that down the road, banking on their ability. That first extra pick was Ifatu Melifanwu, and that was another spicy moment. And he looked straight at Carlos Soul and said, you had that one as a miss, too. And it was just like, my God. that was the moment where I almost had to leave the room laughing. Because I was just like, is this what it's going to be the yeah. entire time here? But no, I just, uh, I loved the opening statement. I loved the, you used the perfect word, the bravado, this the confidence, just outward. I, I just loved the doubling down of support for Dan Campbell and his trust and his head coach's ability to not only help him form this roster and go through the draft and stuff like that, but to develop these guys and his ability to 
replace guys on the staff if need, and we'll get into that into a minute too. But I, I, I just, I just enjoyed everything he had to say about this coaching staff, and just like even when he was faced with like, well, what if this happens? Well, at the end of the day, we still got Dan. Well, how does this help you here? Well, at the end of the day, we still got Dan, and it was just kind of a nice full circle kind of conversation. I know the circle's not complete yet, but just where it was three years ago to see him, kind of not victory lapping, but just kind of. I told you I got this was just a, it, it felt like a cool moment. It, this is the first day that it's felt like, okay, the off season's here. It, it's done. We're in it. <laughs> I, um, it, it felt for me a little bit like a, another turning point. Um, you know, we've seen some over the course of time, but even, you know, there have been moments of success for this franchise. And I think back to 91 when they were in the conference championship game and people thought they were going to be back there. There have been right. moments like that over the years, maybe <laughs> not so recently, but um, th- you know, throughout this season and in this press conference, it, it felt like another attempt um, to kind of turn the page when it comes to the Lions being an underdog right. and actually asserting themselves as a contender. And they played like a contender this year. They coached like a, con- a contender just running over teams, um, not p- shying from the moment. Like even their loss against the 49ers, they they blitzed them coming right out of the yeah. game. Like they were not scared of the second biggest stage in this sport and lo- really looked like they belonged. And the way Holmes, you know, spoke today, um, it wasn't that of a of an underdog. It wasn't like, hey, this was a great season. We're so happy. Like, no, it's like we earned this. We're we are this good. Look at what we've done the draft, the young core that we have, all these guys who are locked up for next year and beyond. Like so many of their best players are 23 or 24 years old or younger. Um, they only have three full-time starters who are eligible to be to be free agents. They have the sixth or seventh most cap space in the league to to restock the roster they are here to stay and it felt like a lot of what Brad Holmes said today was to assert that fact that they are here to stay and i've written as much coming out of of you know the the season ender in, in san francisco um despite what dan campbell told us which is you know how dan really went out of his way to talk about how hard it is mm-hmm. to get to that summit uh, how hard it is to get back uh, once you are a favorite, once you do have a more difficult schedule because of the way the scheduling works, you're gonna see a lot more better teams next year. Um, but I always looked at the what they have back, the age of some of their best players, the DNA of some of the best yeah. players like Panay and Amon Ra, Jared Goff for, for that matter. Um and it it just it it looks like they are really set up for another go at it next year. And Brad Holmes to his credit leaned heavily into that and i appreciated that he just spoke truth and that's one of the hallmarks of this regime too is they don't really beat around the bush they just tell you like it is and it was refreshing to to hear someone go up there and just say hell yeah we're good yeah, right, right. and we're going to be back we're, we're not don't like we're not a cinderella we're going to be back no and it was uh another thing that really struck me was just um it's it's nice seeing this side of brad because it kind of puts everything into picture and how in how Dan and him fit so well together because it is that honesty. It is the accountability. It is like, I mean, he's straight upset. Like when Dan and I are convicted on something, we sleep good at night. And it's just, you see this aggressive, confident nature out of Brad and we've seen it out of Dan. We saw Dan after the game, like you just said, talking about how hard to just get back here. And it's Brad coming through like, no, we got this. Like we're built for this. It's just, it was nice seeing like you get to picture those personalities in the same room. Like we got a taste on hard knocks a couple years ago, but just like, it's easy to see how well these two work together when you see Brad kind of wheeling and dealing like this, because this was aggressive general managing right there. <laughs> we we've touched on it a little bit too, Ben, but I also I, I just as a guy who covers the draft because I have to, and because <laughs> and because there's so much interest in it. And listen, I get it. I don't hate on the draft. It's a critical piece of the NFL build, um, but. Um, it's just not, I prefer covering this team and yes. these players and their stories and and the games they play more so than, hey, there's this guy from Arkansas State. They might draft, so let me do a story on this guy. They probably won't draft, and then it just, like, evaporates. I, I don't know. The, the, the draft <laughs> process, for a million reasons, isn't my favorite. I really do get annoyed, though, by the draft industrial complex, how big it's become, how guys like Mel Kuyper are – like, their opinions hold so much – 
weight, for lack of a better word, because they are so big. So many people read what they have to say. They have such massive platforms. Um, and you see like, like a particular grievance that I have are these like instant grades you see after, you know, a, a night at the draft or at yeah. the end of the draft, you know, you see these, all these draft grades, like I've, I've hated them. And if you look at it on MLive, like we don't do them. Like we'll definitely say like the grades that exist elsewhere right, and how right. team, you know, how the people view the Lions draft, but I refuse <laughs> to do draft grades because of how dumb they are. Yeah. And every Absolutely. person in this league that you talk to about the draft, it's like, no, you have to wait. Yeah at least two or three years to accurately um, grade a draft. And even if you don't wait that long, like at least let them practice a single day as a professional to see, hey, where are they going to line up? How how do they measure up? Like before you start saying, oh, this guy doesn't fit um, and and so on. And yet you have guys who are instantly draft, you know, oh, this guy gets a C because, right. because of stuff that doesn't matter. Oh, I've, I've never heard of this guy. Like I remember that when they, <laughs> they, when they drafted Tavai, and I saw a bunch of Fs and whatnot. It's like, I never heard of this guy, so it's an F. Um, <laughs> our friend Carlos that you already mentioned, I'm just going to name drop him directly because it's annoying as as hell. But after they took Frank Ragnow, I remember him writing something like, well, I, I, I haven't heard of the guy, so this can't be a good pick. I think maybe it was like a B or a B minus or something. I don't, I don't really remember. Frank Ragnow, A-plus player yeah. that we're going to get to in a bit. Um um, all pro player. Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm really like meandering at this point a little bit, but I really enjoyed that Brad Holmes also took all this to task. Like this stuff that happens that these headlines that we're talking about right now that happened in March and April and May about the draft process and what grades are and, Oh, did the lines get positional value or did they make a reach here? Like right, right. this stuff is bullshit. <laughs> and, I love that Brad Holmes called it out for yeah. what it is because it doesn't, and none of it matters. Like there was a lot of hand wringing uh, over this last draft class and where they took certain guys and they go out there and it's one of the great rookie classes in franchise history and help lead this team to the conference championship game. Um, nope. So I, I like that aspect of it. Like, just, just don't put too much stock in what you see in March, April, and May. Like they're here to try to win games in December. And what he didn't say is January and February. <laughs> exactly. And what, what the beautiful part about what he said is like, let them play football first. And that's kind of why we don't do grades like that. Yeah. We'll talk about it. We'll offer our opinion because that's also what we get paid to do. But like those grades things, man, because the second and the fans getting lost in it, because the second we started writing about Sam Laporta looks great at OTAs, y'all ate it up. The second we started writing about how big Jack Campbell looks, y'all started eating up. The second we started talking about Jameer Gibbs sharing the field with David Montgomery in training camp, it was eating up. And that was another one of his points I love, too, is like people start to forget about the draft yeah. the second football starts getting played again. Yeah. And that is like such part of this team's blueprint identity through the draft of how they coach and play games, how they attack the offseason. I just I loved it. I loved it all. Yep. I'm with you, Ben. That's a great point, too. Let's move along um, to something else Brad Holmes said at his uh, season-ending press conference. Um, let's talk about the coordinators. Yeah. Ben, you know, just a little bit of a news element to it, uh, newsiness uh, to it with Ben Johnson turning down Washington and Seattle to come back to Detroit. Uh, all kinds of fun spin out there. I'm sure we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really enjoying writing about the stuff that agents tell Adam Schefter and uh, people of his ilk, and they relay it without a moment of critical thinking. It's just awesome for like my, my my wellness and <laughs> and happiness in life. Um, anyway, Ben Johnson's back. So is Aaron Glenn. Um, we talk a lot about the continuity of this roster with so many starters back and depth pieces and how young they are. But getting this leadership back too is also a critical component to 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 um, building on what the Lions did this past season uh, in 2024. So let's get to what Brad Holmes said, and we'll respond on the other side. Continuity is everything. And, um, you know, they're great coaches. They're great coaches. They're very smart. They're great leaders. Um, they're developers. They're, they're, they're teachers. And they fit here. But, um, you know, um, fortunate. Um, I'm glad that they're back. Um, I know we're a better team um, with, with that continuity. Um, but I have all the 
trust and faith in Dan as well. And the one thing I'll say about, you know, those guys, you know, being back is I think it says a lot about our organization. And I think that's a part that, you know, wasn't really um, wasn't really talked about as much was, you know, yes, you got two talented coordinators, jobs open up. They had to take those jobs, right? Well, they got damn good jobs here. They do, you know. I know all the stuff written about, you know, Ben and uh, Ben. Look, he's look. It's a great culture here. We got a great head coach. We got great ownership. You know, we got a great offense. We got great players on offense. Like, it's 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 a it's a great deal. So, you know, and I'm not speaking for Ben. I don't I don't know what his thoughts. But you know, and that's the other thing is you got to just you know give people respect of the unknown. You know, you don't know what goes through their decisions, you know, and their decision-making process and all that. But very, very fortunate, and I do think it speaks a lot for our organization. It's great that Ben and Aaron are back, obviously, and having those voices. I, I think my, one of my big takeaways with regard to Ben Johnson is, like, we hear culture, the word culture, all the time in the NFL. It is such a buzzword, so much so that it's cliche. Everyone talks about it. Um I think very few actually live it. And you can't mistake the culture that's been built in Detroit. Like you and I have been around since previous regimes and you feel the difference in the way things go, the how how, how um, things are operated, how people feel, what they say, what kinds of people are in those positions in every corner of the franchise, from players and coaches to equipment staff to all kinds of personnel throughout the the, the building. Like, like culturally, um, this this regime is um, this building is so different. Uh, they play aggressive football. People are are happy. That's it's collaborative. Um, you know, it, like everyone feels like they're pulling in the same direction. People live and die to fight for their brothers. I mean, in Frank Ragnow's case, almost literally. Um, yeah. And that speaks to the belief in something greater than oneself, and that's that's culture. And to see a guy like Ben Johnson two years in a row turn down mega million payday yeah. to come back, like like first of all, when was the last time the Lions had coaches, had assistant coaches that were even being looked at as head coaches elsewhere? The Lions have that in both Aaron Glenn and Ben Johnson. And now you have a guy in Ben Johnson who's turning down, like he was the favorite in Washington. He's turning down that opportunity <laughs> um, for a lot of reasons, probably. Let's not be too simplistic about it. But he, in the end, he's still turning it down to come back to Detroit because the situation yep. is so good here and because he likes being here and because he, he wants to win here and expects to win here. That's culture. And you see it in so many different ways, but with the continuity that's happening on the staff and these guys coming back and in Ben Johnson's case, willingly so, that really speaks to me about the the you know, what's happening behind closed doors here in Allen Park. Absolutely. And it, it's been such an interesting week. I think I, I just wrote that story out of the press conference today. Like the coordinators returning is great, but like it's all Dan Campbell in the end. And it's just I think I called the athletic the venting board for the commander's organization and their agents right now. And I mean, you saw Schefter tweeting it out last week that teams were spooked of his asking price, but I'll just tell you the commanders weren't flying here for nothing when he reportedly told him he was staying, but it's yep. just, and that's just another kind of like, this is, this is Brad Holmes. I mean, Dan Campbell said it about the ownership, the front office. This is Brad Holmes saying it too. Like I loved that quote when he said, this is a damn good job here too, man. Like that, that, that was really his point. He was selling home and it's just like, it's kind of the thing that we were trying to articulate for the last two and a half months whenever we would get questions about Ben Johnson leaving or thoughts about Aaron Glenn leaving. It's just like Dan Campbell's still here. And to hear that like come out of Brad's mouth, like I trust in this guy to fill out the staff. Yeah, these guys are great. He's straight up said the Lions are a better team with those two guys as coordinators. And that is true. Like, But Dan Campbell at the end of the day is just um, – I, I, I just think this was another one of those trust us statements here because it's like – I know we keep saying like Ben Johnson's going to likely be gone and he keeps returning, but like one of these days, Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn are going to get these jobs. Like they're just two great leaders, two very different type of leaders and coaches. But like we we've seen these guys evolve over the last three years and it's just, it's very impressive. That continuity like that he speaks to that you just heard Brad Holmes talk about, like just to put that in perspective, Ben Johnson is tied for the <laughs> longest tenured offensive coordinator in the league. Aaron Glenn is tied for the third longest defensive coordinator in the league. They've been here three years. Like this, 
as short as it feels at times, this is rare and it is special. And I mean, and I just when you have a leader, when you have two leaders like Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell, coordinators like that, it, it's just wild. And you asked the question, when's the last time the Lions coach coordinator got, isn't it like 1957, the last time a coordinator got a head coaching job? Uh, I believe that you're asking me on the spot. But I believe it's either 71 or 72. Okay, there you go. That's what, yeah. So it's been a long time. It's been a really long time. So that's different too. And it's just, it really speaks to the top to the bottom. And I mean, we are talking about the literal walls getting knocked down here in Allen Park. I mean, the real top to bottom. Here's that word again, culture rebuild. I mean, we've lived it. We've felt it. When people talk about changing in culture, this should be the blueprint because they actually did it here. And just statements like that and guys coming back like Glenn and Johnson really just kind of hammer that point home. The the um, the slow leaks coming out of Washington and, and elsewhere <laughs> on Ben Johnson is um, – <laughs> yeah, we alluded to it before. But I just want to talk about it for a moment because it, it, it's confounding to me. And I haven't run on it yet. I was taking, believe it or not, a day or two yes. to like, you know, <laughs> sleep. <laughs> uh-huh. I was a zombie there. I think we all were. Um, uh, and I didn't want to wake up single one day, so I had to put in some time in my personal life. Lovely Sunday afternoon. with the, yeah. yeah. But uh, I did want, I guess this is maybe a good form to talk about that kind of stuff because I, uh, it's just bewildering. So I, I guess there was a, a, a report, quote unquote report. You can't see me doing the air quotes, but I'm doing air quotes. A report about how Ben Johnson theoretically interviewed Poorly in Washington, um, but then, uh, then, then the next thing you know, Washington is flying here, and when they find out mid-flight that he's going to stay, they're so upset that they're going to continue leaking about Ben Johnson and furious about his, you know, how unprofessional it is. Is a different report that you know, quote right. air quotes around report um, <laughs> that he backed out at, the, at, such, at such a late time, and you know, apparently he wanted too much money and a different report, but at the same time is coming back to Detroit without a pay raise. Like clearly Washington, which has new leadership from owner to um, general manager, doesn't want to appear to have missed out on its number one pick and is just leaking stuff. And let's be extremely frank to Adam Schefter, who in turn is passing this stuff along unflinchingly without critical thinking without reaching out to Ben Johnson. Um, um, you know, particularly the report about him wanting too much money. Like, did, hey, like you're Adam Schefter, reach out to the Lions, reach out to Ben Johnson. How much are you asking? Is this, but no, you don't see that counterweight. It's just Ben Johnson has exorbitant um, contractual demands. Um, it, it, and none of the, if you look at the pieces, all these like slow leaks and you put them together, they don't even make sense against each other. But that's not the point. The point is not to to, to say, here's what happened with the Ben Johnson, Washington con, uh, commanders thing. It's just, we need headlines to make it look like we didn't miss out on our top guy. Um, and I'm really, I'm, I'm curious, Ben, to talk to Ben Johnson uh, when that time comes, probably at the combine, um, to hear what his timeline was like and why he came back, what he thought about some of these leaks and how much truth there was to them. Because I feel like he was the victim of a PR smear campaign coming from our nation's capital. Yeah, I think so too. And it was just, I mean, I remember when that uh, report came out in like October or early November that he wanted 15 millions a year on his next contract. And I mean, his agent was very forefront and declining that. And it was just what a messy, sloppy week is what I'd call it from the national reporting of just, you got the original reporter of that contractual demands, Josina doing victory laps on Schefter's vague report. And then he puts out the thing that he, it's just sloppy is the word that really just comes to mind about all the national reporting. And just like you said, I mean, they're just pawns in a PR smear campaign for yeah, Magic Johnson's group trying not to look <laughs> bad on their first hiring when in fact that they hired Ron Rivera Jr. and Dan Quinn. So they're on the same path. And uh, it, it, I see a lot of people trying to talk like this will damage Ben Johnson's coaching chances in the future. No chance. No chance. I think this drives down the potential interest in Washington being a front office you want to work for, if more than anything. Yeah, this totally shows that they were on different pages. And one thing that I forget, I forget if it was Ben Johnson or uh, Aaron Glenn talking about it, but they were both asked on the same day about what they would want, you know, in their next gig and what, what they had learned from things working here in Detroit. And it's that everyone has to be on the same page from the owner on down. And that's something that you do see here. Like Sheila Hamp, yeah. 
Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, they're the same kinds of people that want the same kinds of things and it's it's working. And when you have that kind of a cohesion at the top, players, support staff, and so on, they know what the deal is. They know where they stand. Like players, when, when we talk to them about why they like playing here, one of the things we hear a lot is you always know where you stand with these guys. Like here's the expectation and if you're meeting it, you know what's going to happen to you. You're going to start, play games, have a role, whatever. And if you don't meet that standard, you won't and you'll get cut. And that's a hard thing, but players are rarely surprised by it yeah. here because they're getting told a straight thing from everyone in leadership positions. Um, and when you hear what's happening with Washington, Ben Johnson, clearly they want different things. They see this being a different thing. And I think Ben Johnson, ultimately, like the way Washington is behaving, you know, they got their little burn book with Adam Schefter. <laughs> Shout out Mean Girls. Um, like, you know, it's clear it wasn't like going to be a thing. It, it wasn't a healthy situation. And when you're Ben Johnson and you are a young, creative offensive play caller um, who has options. And if you go back to Detroit, you're going to have options next year because you're still a young, creative play caller with a whole lot of talent. Um, why not? And he's just going to open up more possibilities for himself down the line. I totally agree with you that I laughed out loud when I saw that report that he was hurting his reputation because if it's the year 2025, if it's next off season and the Lions are top five offense again and keep doing the things that we expect yeah. them to do, someone's going to want him because he interviewed for six of the seven openings this year. Um, he's still going to be in demand. He's exactly the kind of new trendy thing in this league where, you know, these young play callers, like everyone wants one these days. They're Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan or whatever. And Ben Johnson is that. Mm -hmm. And a team that is looking for a head coach next year isn't going to think to itself, oh, this guy that we really want, who's only available because he like said no to the Washington commanders. Like we're not going to take him now because he said no to the Washington right. commanders. Like that doesn't even make sense. That doesn't even begin to make sense. Yep. You, the important thing is to coach good football, to win games. Yep. That's nothing. That, that's all they've done lately in Detroit. Ben Johnson's coached a lot of good football really since the moment he took over the passing game in 2022. And as long as all that continues, um, you know, he's going to be in demand next year too. Yeah, and I think just the last point I want to make is that, like, I know the commanders have a ton of cap space, premium draft pick, but, like, let's be real about the jobs Ben Johnson has, quote-unquote, turned down the last two offseasons. He has not turned down a crystal-clear great opportunity. And when you got something building like this in Detroit and you coach for a guy like Dan Campbell, and you've read some of the quotes but Ben Johnson has said about Dan Campbell, just, like, not wanting to let him down on the surface. I think that was to our old friend Kevin Clark while he was still <laughs> with the ringer. But just, like... I don't know, man. I, it's it's easier for me to, because turning down the Washington Commanders shouldn't be this shocking thing. Like like we've said, I know they got new ownership. I know they're trying to start a clean slate there. But like, you want to talk about organizations that have been marred and just the worst of the worst? It's them too, man. So it's like, I don't know. There, there's something to be said about patience, loyalty, and just kind of maybe waiting for the right opportunity. I mean, shoot, what, he's. I know there's only 32 of those jobs, but like, when you're Ben Johnson, you don't have to force it, in my opinion. Let's move along. Um, Brett Holmes also talked about the future of Frank Ragnow and the offensive line. Um, and the offensive line has been such a strength in Detroit and and so much good depth there that I think if you're not paying attention, it's easy to get caught off guard by the not just long-term needs there, but at this point, short-term needs mm -hmm. too. Um, you got Graham Glasgow, Jonah Jackson, uh, Big V, all three of the top guards are all eligible to hit free agency in March. Um, our friend Graham Glasgow, friend of the program, uh, told <laughs> us that uh, um, he wants to come back and there's some mutual interest there. I, I think something probably gets done, but something needs to get done. At this point, they don't have a starting guard for next year. Right. They need two of them. Um, <laughs> uh, Taylor Decker is entering a contract year. Um, I haven't written the story yet, but I did talk to Taylor on Locker Cleanout Day one-on-one -on -one a little bit about his future and um, – you know, I'll give you guys a little preview. He he did tell me that he wants to come back and it's obviously out of his hands. And I'm not sure if anything will get done on that front because you still have big money coming for not just Amon Ross St. Brown and and Jared Goff, but at some point in the next year, um, for Panay Sewell too. And you can only tie up so much money into one position group. Yeah, and Panay is gonna get a, a, a boatload of cash. So I'm not sure if the market. I'm not sure if Taylor Decker's in the fold. Uh, maybe he is, and maybe they resign him. But if he's not, maybe you have to dra draft a tackle this year. I, I I don't know. Those are questions that Brad Holmes has to ask, has to answer rather. Yeah. Um, and then there's Frank Ragnow at center, who is an All Pro. 
uh, who is an Iron Man of all the Iron Men. Um, he is everything you want in a pro. Um, he also is banged up big time. And we made a lot of jokes about him playing through the uh, ankle, knee, back, toe injuries this year. What a where that guy is. Um, but the toe thing has been a particular issue um, for three years now. It's inoperable. And he said after the season ended that he was going to take some time uh, to evaluate his situation, to get healthy, to have an MRI, to figure out if he needed operations, plural, operations, um, and to figure out what was best for him as a husband and a father. And a lot of times in this business, when you hear a guy talk like that, it could mean that retirement is being considered on some level. Um, and I'm not sure if that's serious or not. Like right. he didn't say the R word retirement. <laughs> um, Brad Holmes didn't either, but Brad Holmes, the way he, he responded to a question about Frank Ragnow made me think even more about retirement as being a possibility. So let, let's hear what Brad had to say, Ben, and then I'll get your, your take on the other side. Look, um, Ragnow, it's only, it's only one of them on the planet, um, in, in my opinion. So, um, but I have so much respect for him and for everything that he goes through and, and, and fights through that, you know, um, I'm just respectful of his time uh, and, and, and his thoughts. And, you know, um, we're not going to, you know, pressure him to do anything or make any moves, but um, but the communication will be diligent, will, it'll, it'll, it'll be thorough, it'll be respectful, but um, but just the, that's, that's, that's what our team is, is I mean, our offensive line, you know, us uh, us being able to, you know, protect the quarterback and run the football like like like, like we do, um, that's it's extremely important, and so um, that's that's definitely going to be one that um, that'll be an area that will not be overlooked um, as as good as it has been in the past. Um, you know, just those points that you've raised, um, it's definitely going to be a point of emphasis. Uh, ben, what what did you think about what Brad said said about the 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 Frank Ragnar situation. Yeah, it's a it's it's a realistic cloud hanging over right now. Like you said, he, Frank didn't say that R word, but like it's it's impossible to ignore as human beings what he went through this year because I mean the the sprained knee, the sprained ankle, the meniscus injury, the freaking toe man. You know what makes playing through a toe, an inoperable toe injury even harder? Knee and ankle issues on both <laughs> legs. Like uh, it's just <laughs> and the shoulder thing. I always forget about the shoulder and the back thing and the fact that this guy was getting a day or two week of rest each week just to kind of make it to the finish line each week. I mean he he's a human at the end of the day and he has been through hell and back for this franchise to get them to this point. And I I just think. Brad Holmes said all the right things publicly facing and behind the scenes of this is the take on it too. I mean, just giving him the time and the space. I mean, that's like, like you said, after that game in San Francisco, it was like, I need to like get home and let the swelling go down so I can get MRIs. And like, that takes time to figure out. I mean, there plural. Are some, MRIs, yeah, plural, 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 <laughs> exactly. We don't even know like how the meniscus held up because he only like let it rest for like six freaking days before returning to play. So just like that stuff adds up. And this stuff has been adding up for Frank for a long time. So I, I do think it's I, all of a sudden you're looking at center as a long-term potential need, maybe a developmental flyer there. But guard is still, man, there's a lot of questions that need answered at guard because Panay's going to reset the freaking market at tackle. And Taylor Decker has remained one of the most underrated pass blocking guys on that side too. So it's a, it's tough. But yeah, just, uh, you know, no no need to rush rag now. Let him come to his decision. Let him heal up. But uh, I, I do think it is a threat that they need to be wary of and prepared to potentially fill. I was caught off guard by the Calvin Johnson retirement in uh, 2015. I, I remember exactly where I was when I first heard uh, that was going down. I'm like, wow. Um, it, it, if you want to hear the very quick story. Yeah, I Basically, did. I was sitting in a cafe in Detroit um, that no longer exists, but I was sitting there and I see... Back, this is back when TweetDeck worked, and I'm sitting <laughs> on my laptop at this table, and I see on TweetDeck, I'm like, holy bleep. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, within 60 seconds, I'm like, I'm like writing, okay, within 60 seconds, I look up because there's some kind of clamor happening in this cafe, and I look up, and Hillary Clinton is standing in my cafe, <laughs> and I'm like... What the heck is happening in my world right now? I don't. I guess she was in town for some. I don't know. Whatever. We're not going into politics. No. But it was just a, a crazy moment. Um, and so, yeah, no one saw the Calvin thing coming. Um, even though he was beat up and all these other things. 
and I kind of I'm kind of having that feeling with Frank Ragnall where it's like I never saw it coming because he's only 27 years old it's the height of his game but when you think about the totality of his last few years it's like no 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 shit like he he has just been he's such a warrior and in football that is celebrated you're crowned for being a warrior but there's a physical cost to what he's been doing and listen he had the toe thing happen originally three years ago undergoes a surgery it's the the planter um plate uh in his foot it's extremely extremely painful and he had it repaired surgically he goes into the next year fully healthy he had like a lot of time because it happened in like the first month of the 2021 season uh goes into 2022 fully healthy first game first series um uh, injures it again. And at that point, it's inoperable. There's no, yeah. I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but basically there's nothing down there anymore for them to surgically repair. It's just effed. Yeah. And he has to, it's a, it's a maintenance thing. It's just working through the pain. And he played at a high level last year. Uh, I I think he might've played every snap last year. I, I don't know. There's something close to it. Like he was, he was an Ironman. Uh, this year, he only missed two games while going through the foot thing again. They got. They came up with a better regimen too for like maintenance and the mm-hmm. pain of the issue. But then he had the knee, and the back, uh, and the ankle, and he had the he had, he, he was listed with all those injuries in the Bucks playoff game. And then in that game, he also sprained his knee and his ankle. And it was on a third down. He has to like have medical help to get off the field before fourth down before a punt. Um, and then the next offensive series starts and he's back out there. Ridiculous. And and like later in that game, there's a fourth down uh, touchdown play at the goal line where he's uh, shoving 347 pound Vita Vea out of the out of the hole. I mean, the guy is crazy. He's mental. He's so good at this football thing. He's so smart. He's such a good leader, and he's always out there. If he has four limbs and a and a freaking helmet, he's going to be on the field. Um, but there's a physical toll and. For as much as we glorify what he's been doing, Ben, there is a, there's a physical cost to what he's doing. And I now that given what Frank said, and especially now given what Brad has said, you know, lending some more credibility to the thought processes that are happening right now with Frank Rag now, like does he retire? Who knows? Is he seriously considering retirement? Who knows? No one said the the R word, mm-hmm. but just being a journalist, reading between the, the the tea leaves, taking account of what he's going through, I do think it's on the table. At 27, year old, 27 years old, I do think it's on the table for Frank Ragnow. Yeah. I, I, I No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm definitely treating it as a very realistic happening around here because, like, I mean, there's just a toll. I mean, and once you start getting closer to that age 30, you start healing a little slower and stuff like that. And Frank is nowhere near old or past his prime. I mean – Brad said it perfect. There's only one of him on this planet, mm-hmm. and I mean, he has remained that type of player for all these injuries, even even through the umpteen injuries he just played with in the title game. But yeah, it's just a it's something to track. This this is not. I don't think it's just smoke. I I do think there is worthwhile smoke worth tracking there. Yeah, Frank Ragnall was the first draft pick of the Quintricia regime so at least they did something right. right. <laughs> and I know that Frank was way way off radars for Detroit. In fact. Frank did not expect to be picked by Detroit because they never interacted throughout the draft process. And Bob Quinn later said, uh, sorry, I should use a trigger warning there. Trigger warning, (laughs) Bob Quinn. um, (laughs) Said that was pretty intentional because they loved him so much they didn't want someone else to take him first. I think they were picking 20th that year or something like that. And um, really worked out. They also drafted uh, Graham Glasgow, um, Bob Quinn did. And again, that was a pretty big success. Not many in that regime, but there was a couple of them on the offensive line. They did let Graham Glasgow slip into a weird guard rotation, (laughs) diminish his value in free agency, eventually put him to pasture in uh, free agency in, what was it, 2020. Uh, Glasgow came back this year and played really good football. And I do think with Frank Ragnow's, Frank Ragnow's, um, Injury situation, um, you know, his undetermined future in football uh, at this point. I, mean, I don't know what, what the future holds, but – and then having none of your top guards under contract, I do feel like Graham Glasgow has to be, for me, the number one free agent priority. He played really good football this year. He's a really good guard, top 10 according to pro mm-hmm. football focus. Um, and when he had to play center for Frank Ragnow, it wasn't like a replacement level kind of – 
thing. Like he played good football at center and having that kind of versatility will be, you know, it's a huge um, luxury. Um, And for a team that prides itself on playing good offensive line, um, you know, you need to protect Jared Goff. Jared Goff's at his best when he has a clean pocket. You want to run the football with Gibbs and Montgomery and so on. Like you need to have the powerhouse up front and the offensive line and having a guy like Glasgow who can play three three positions at a high level uh, is is essential. Yeah, and I know Graham didn't love practicing at center in camp and didn't love that aspect of it, but uh, it only drives his value up and it only increases the likelihood that he's back here on a much more handsome and probably deal that has more than one season on it. And uh, the tough decision is the Jonah Jackson one because it's weighing all those other. I think Graham is an easy decision. I think what he does, what he offers with that versatility and how he fit with these pieces makes him, like you said, the number one, should be the number one internal priority, I think. But with Jonah, it's just about that price. I saw Pro Football Focus did a great job last year on estimating upcoming contracts and free agency. Jonah's injuries, Jonah's down year, kind of just through those injuries and durability issues this year for the first time is kind of, they're, they're putting him at like three years, 30 million estimation. And like, for the first time in my thinking, I'm kind of like, Glasgow and Jackson coming back. I mean, maybe don't look at Graham as just a guard. Like maybe that's how you solidify this offensive line, at least for the next couple of years, but tough decisions. But like Brad said, like we've said a million times, this foundation is built on that offensive line and that's not someplace they're going to let cracks form. I think ultimately they probably don't sign two free Asian guards. I think they probably pick one. And I think in my opinion, they go like, like, listen, John Jackson's in the prime of his career and does some things in the running game that Graham Glasgow can't do. His athleticism Mm -hmm. is really good. He's an excellent, excellent puller. There's things off the change without John Jackson. But if you, if you can only have one of them, I think Graham Glasgow gives you more value because of what he offers to you as a center as well. And you're right. I mean, Graham has told us that um, he wasn't a huge fan of (laughs) the center stuff that was happening in the summer last year. Although I took that more to mean he wanted to win a starting job and he knew that playing two positions was going to negatively affect his ability to win a starting job. I think if they said, okay, Frank Ragnow is now retiring you're our starting center. I don't think he'd be against that necessarily. I think it was just kind of the moving around that really got to him. Yeah, he was trying to be Big V, right? And all yep. of a sudden he was yep. playing Evan Brown. Yeah. Yeah. But no matter how it shakes out, um, you know, there's there's big questions to answer. And that's why Brad Holmes gets paid the big bucks and has these big ball bags under his eyes that he didn't have three years ago. Um, but right. they, they still have an excellent uh, position going into next year. And I, I liked that that was kind of what he came out firing about. It, you know, he really wanted to get that point across. I mean, a lot of that stuff is in the opening statement before there was a question that this was not a Cinderella story. We're going to be back, basically. Um, and I and I like that because, you know, it, it doesn't mince words and it is what, what's going on. Like, this team should be very good next year. It should be the North favorite. Um, uh, although there's a lot of questions to answer along the way. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. It's uh, Uncharted Waters continues on this beat. 